you want a satisfying career and a fulfilling family life, this is the podcast for you. Join me, Joel Lulovich, and me, Lucy Dickens, as we share strategies and advice to help you keep your balls in the air. Welcome to the Juggle Podcast. Hello, everyone. I'm Jo. And I'm Lucy. If you're a long-time listener, welcome back. We appreciate that you choose to spend your time with us. And if you're new, welcome. We have created this podcast to share with you stories and strategies to help you manage your juggle of career and family. And we have over 20 episodes sharing stories of women managing the juggle. We've got forward-thinking employers, and we've also got tips from Lucy and I and other thought leaders. So go back and take a listen. Of course, if you love it, please subscribe so that you never miss an episode. And also come and join us in our Facebook group, The Juggle Community, where you can meet and chat to like-minded professionals who also happen to be parents or perhaps parents who also happen to be professionals. <laughs> Depending on the time of day or the, <laughs> the week of the year or whatever it is. Today's special guest is Catherine Brooks. Catherine is the practice leader at Moore's Law Firm and is the author of Let's Make It Work Baby, a guide for new parents managing a career and family. Catherine has a two and a half year old son and is pregnant with her second child. Like Joe, Catherine is also an employment lawyer and she represents employers. So she's also well acquainted with the issues that are faced by employers and employees who are tackling flexible work. We had such a great conversation with Catherine. She's lovely to talk to and she shared with us about her personal journey, how motherhood has changed her career goals, and also some of the reasons why she wrote her book, including the, her, her realisation that there was a need for lots of information that's out there to be in a more easily accessible place. One of my favourite things about our conversation with Catherine is that she's very honest about the ups and downs of working parenthood. She doesn't pretend that she always loves it. And in fact, she admits that there have been times where she's worked because she thinks it's what she should do. And I like that because, you know, it's not always easy and smooth sailing. So it's good to recognise that everybody else experiences that too. And one of the things that Isla really loved was a comment in her book about the need for dads to announce pregnancy. It's something that, you know, we keep talking about how dads need to be more involved and how dads need to have flexible working options as well and all those kinds of things. But this was a, another way of looking at it about saying, you know, when a woman is announcing her pregnancy, it's done so many weeks, months in advance and everyone around her has time to prepare for the eventuality of her leaving the workplace for a while. But with dads, sometimes the months and days can go by and you don't even know that their partner is about to have a baby. So you don't kind of know that there's going to be this time coming up when their life is going to be in a bit of turmoil and they're probably (laughs) going to need some time off too. Absolutely. Before we kick off, this episode is sponsored by our friends at Law CPD. Law CPD offer premium online CPD courses for lawyers Australia-wide. Not only do they offer great interactive and informative courses, the best part is that they can be done anywhere and anytime. Law CPD are very, very generously offering us 10 hours of professional development free, completely free of charge to one lucky person. I don't know about you, but if you're in WA, 10 CPD points is the amount that you need for your whole CPD requirement for a year. And I think, I'm pretty sure it's the same across Australia. So this is a fantastic prize. You can go into the draw to win by visiting lawcpd.com.au forward slash the juggle competition. And we'll include that link in our show notes. All you need to do is answer the simple question, where do you feel the most productive and why do you think this is? 
Law CPD will select the winner at the end of August and of course we'll share the winner on our social media too. And don't forget, you don't need to be a lawyer to enter this. Law CPD courses include professional development courses too, more broadly, like learning to assert yourself and also dealing with difficult clients, which is something that all of us need to know how to do. Now on to today's show. Hi, Catherine. Thanks for joining us. Hi, thank you so much for having me. The first question that we like to ask our juggler guests is what time did you start your day? Oh, this morning was pretty early. My son, who's two and a half, woke up at 4.50 and I managed to get him back to sleep. But then, of course, I couldn't get back to sleep. So I started looking at emails and did some LinkedIn and then I actually had to leave the house at 7 to go to a board presentation. So it was an early one today. It was early. (laughs) Is that common? My daughter's a similar age and 4 o'clock seems to be a thing for us at the moment. Oh, I'm hoping it's just a phase. Just a one-off. Yeah, it's always a phase. <laughs> well, we can explain it away by the cycle of the moon or something else as well. Yeah, just as long as it's not forever. Yeah. <laughs> so what would you say is a typical day normally if you're not getting up at 10 to 5 in the morning? Yeah, so I try and start the day with my son and husband and we get ready for work. Um, I work four days a week, so most of my days are getting ready to commute and get off to childcare and work. And so as a little family, we walk to the train station together, which is really nice. It's only about five minutes, but we play games with my son. And yeah, it's, it's quite nice family time. And then we try and push our way onto the train. And then my husband <laughs> actually does drop off, which is great because I hate drop off and I hate tears. And he's, my son seems to be much better with Brendan, my husband. So he does drop off and then I carry on to a few more platforms and get off at Moors. And then, yeah, the day is pretty much jam-packed with meetings or interviews, speaking to clients and, and journalists, whatever is on for the day. And we do a lot of presentations and seminars and conferences in workplace relations but also child safety. And then I try and leave. Works pretty great. Like I can generally get out at about 4.30 mm-hmm. and skip the mad rush at the end of the day and then, yeah, get home in time to have a nice dinner and actually have some bonding time with my son. Before you have to get up at 4.50 in the morning again. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I normally pass out with him at 8pm because I can stop. <laughs> I'm not surprised. I would too. <laughs> yeah. And I'm obviously nearly five months pregnant. So that does make you a bit tighter as well. <laughs> so is it always daycare that you use on the four days that you're at work or do you have some other arrangements as well? At the moment, we're using childcare four days a week and then we're planning with the second child to have a live-in au pair. So we've just moved to a bigger house so that we can have a live-in. I've got a cousin that's had three of them and um, I actually sought feedback on LinkedIn from a range of lawyers around their opinions around childcare. I just was quite worried that it was a very long day, even mm. trying to keep it as short as we can. Yeah. And a number of lawyers actually commented that having an au pair can be really fantastic and I think with the second I would feel much more comfortable going back to work a little bit earlier if I had support at home rather than dropping doing the job off with two. So, yeah, fingers crossed that works out, but we'll hopefully be getting an au pair early next year. I think it's actually more common than people realise. Once you get talking to other parents, then you realise, oh, actually quite a few people do use this. It seems to be a really, yeah, a new phenomenon. And I think now because you don't have to necessarily go through an agency, you can go through a lot of Facebook groups, as long as you're doing your child safety due diligence. Which you'd know all about. Yeah, making sure there's the working with children checks and the qualifications that you want. But yeah, it seems like 
as I said, fingers crossed, it seems like it, it could be a good option. Now, you touch on this a little bit in your book, which we'll talk to you more about in just a second. But did you make your choice about when you started your family around your career goals? I guess I did plan as carefully as I could. And because I moved to Moors, I was given an opportunity to be a bigger fish in a smaller pond, which meant I could rise through the ranks quite quickly. So at 29, I was appointed the work group leader of the workplace relations team and then was made a principal, which is the equivalent of a partner, at 30. So I guess being in a, a smaller practice and being given really strong encouragement in the leadership space meant that I was able to sort of rise through the ranks quicker than what I would have if I was in a bigger firm. And so I think being made a senior leader at that age made it a lot easier to then think, okay, now I can actually have children and, and take a bit of a breather. So whilst I certainly didn't plan down to the T, I've always been someone that's had a five-year plan. So yeah, it was it fitted into it quite well. <laughs> And your return to work intentions, I think you intended to go back pretty quickly given the seniority of your your role. And I think that's, you know, one of the pros and cons that often comes up in terms of choosing when to have children. Often people feel like they need to reach a senior level in order to take the break to have kids, but they also feel more pressure to come back earlier as opposed to someone who's perhaps more junior in their career. Is that why you were looking to return early? And is that what actually happened? It's interesting because I did plan to return at the three-month mark and I don't think I was worried so much about losing my senior position because I got someone in to replace my role who ended up being fantastic and she's still fantastic and is working full-time now managing our team. So that was like the best thing I ever did. So I sort of knew that the team itself was being looked after and there wasn't that pressure from that perspective. But I think before I took parental leave, the thought of having three months off just sounded so long and so luxurious that I just couldn't comprehend longer. And so I think that's why I thought three months. And then I actually got the call from our managing principal at the three-month mark who said to me, hey, Catherine, you've actually got additional accrued annual leave. And it was the lead up to the end of the financial year. And he said, why don't you just take your annual leave and come back first of July because it'll fit in really well with budgeting. And by that point I was like, oh my goodness, yes, because three months has flown by and I'm freaking exhausted. And actually I don't want to leave my baby just yet. So I actually went back at the five month mark, which meant yeah, I could start on first of July. And when I say went back, it was very flexible because I did really struggle, as I said, with leaving my baby. So I had a complete, as my mum calls it, a complete brain lobotomy and <laughs> I became, I guess, not so career focused and I was very besotted and in love with my child. Um, and so I worked in the office in the morning, went home at lunchtime to breastfeed and then did some work from home in the afternoon. But the afternoon work was very intermittent, I guess, particularly at the start. So I was very fortunate to have the woman that replaced me to sort of manage and hold the fort. And I will certainly be trying to take a little bit more time off the second time around. Time around. <laughs> you just touched on this in terms of your career goals kind of changing when you had your son. And obviously you're through that return to work phase and about to do it all again. But how would you say that your career goals have changed since you've had children? Yeah, it's interesting. Like I have definitely been in a state of flux since I've had Remy. So, you know, there might be a month or two where I'm working very 
flexible hours and things are manageable and quieter. And then, for example, my boss, you know, took some annual leave that she absolutely deserved and I then had to step up to the plate. And I find that when I am working more like I am at the moment, I do get really back into work and I start really enjoying it again and that becomes more of a priority. But it sort of seems to ebb and flow. And what's been really important to me is having people around me, such as my husband, but also my parents saying, keep your seat at the table. So even when my heart and mind really wasn't in it, I think it was really good for me to still make sure I, you know, I had my seat at the table in, in the leadership role. And even though it was sort of in a bit of a different leadership capacity, just keeping my toes in the water, because as I said, my desires and my commitment to work comes in and out. And at the moment, I'm really enjoying it. And I'm thinking, thank goodness, I didn't give it all away when mm. I was, you know, in that early stage. So you mentioned the support from your parents, which I know so many of us couldn't do without. And what I'm always really interested to know, especially talking to professional career mums is, is what you're doing similar to what you saw your parents doing? Like, was your mum a working parent looking after children as well? Or are you kind of blazing a whole new trail in, in the family? Oh, what a great question. Yeah, my mum actually had four children and she actually decided to not be in the workforce for the majority of our childhood. So what I'm doing is very different from what my parents experienced in that my dad worked full time and mum took a big chunk of time off to raise children. And while she did a lot of amazing community work and not-for-profit work and, you know, gave back in so many different ways, it was generally unpaid. So I think that's actually why I struggled so much with childcare because it was just something that our family had never experienced. We'd never set doors into a childcare centre. Yes, it was very different. And my parents have been incredibly supportive because they can see the struggle and the juggle and the reality of it. So we're very fortunate. We actually chose our childcare centre to be very close to mum and dad because they can help with pick up. So for tonight, for instance, mum's picking Remy up at 4pm, which he'll absolutely love. And it means that, you know, when I don't finish my meetings until 5.30, I don't have to stress about rushing to get him. I know he'll be well fed and happily playing with mum and dad. So having their um, support has just been phenomenal. And my poor sister lives in Switzerland and doesn't get any of that. <laughs> and I don't know how she deals with it. And she, often I have to downplay their involvement to her. <laughs> I think she might get a bit jealous. <laughs> so funny. I had the same thing when I've had my first one or two kids and my sister was living in the UK and it was only, um, you know, when she came back and then I'm like, oh my God, now I have to share my parents. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I would not like that. <laughs> I'm one of five and I'm the only one who has children and I'm not looking forward to having to share either. Sounds really selfish, but I'm not. I quite often say that one of the best parenting decisions we ever made was buying a house around the corner from my parents. No, not going first, but when I fell pregnant, we were like, right, well, let's move a bit closer. And we are around the corner. <laughs> it's amazing. Don't forget, though, that if your siblings do have children, there is always the advantage of cousins and the sister to share childcare with, which is what ended up happening with me. So although the parents then had to share themselves, my sister and I could also do some sharing as well. I'm working on it. Yeah, work on it. <laughs> so let's talk about your book, Catherine. You've recently published a book, which you very kindly sent us a copy of, which is called Let's Make It Work, Baby. And you describe it as a kick-ass guide to personal and professional success for new parents. So what led you to writing this? 
Well, it's, yeah, it's a pretty interesting story, I guess, because I've been an employment lawyer for, I think it's my 11th year now. Obviously, I get asked a huge amount of questions from women and friends of friends around return to work and flexible working arrangements and how to negotiate with your employer. But in my day job, I'm actually an employer representative. So I see the flip side, basically the employers that call me and say, this request is completely unworkable. How do we negotiate? How do we go back to the employee? And I've seen a lot of flexible work arrangement requests fail, you know, to the mostly the woman's detriment. So I've seen both sides. And then when I experienced it myself and actually took parental leave myself, I guess I got a bit of an increase in inquiries. So to help me manage all of that pro bono work that I was doing, I actually set up a Facebook group called Help a Sister Out. And that has over 8,000 women now that are members of that group. And the whole purpose of that group is so that women can ask and answer questions. So it's fantastic. Even though I monitor and approve every single post that's made, I'll approve a post. And then by the time I get home and check it, it means that multiple other women have answered it. And that's so much better because I was really providing one response, but that's only through my lens. And so it's really great to have so many other women step in and contribute and offer their support and assistance. And so I think through that, I was asked to speak at a parents group and it was actually a mother's group, it's 100% women. And it was in quite an affluent society, affluent suburb in Melbourne called Port Melbourne. And I said, yeah, sure. I've got one day off. I'll volunteer my time on that day and I'll come in and speak to you guys and just do a bit of a Q&A session about what are your rights and entitlements and how you can mm-hmm. return to work flexibly and this mothers for their babies were eight months old so it was a pretty good time in which they wanted to talk about your know, returning at the 12 month mark so I went along with Remy and we were all there juggling our babies and breastfeeding and <laughs> trying to talk and have a conversation at once and when I turned up five of the eight women that were present were lawyers and I said to them guys what am I doing here like I feel a bit you know superfluous and they said no even we can't work it out we can't work out what our, our entitlements are and Actually, a lot of them were working in-house for very big corporates and they were getting a lot of pushback from their employers. And I was thinking, this is ridiculous. Like I'm talking to the, you know, probably the top 10% earners in Australia and they're working for big businesses and even these women can't negotiate this appropriately. So we had a really good session, but afterwards I thought to myself, well, I really need to work out how I can share the information that I have in my head, but also at my fingertips because of the work that I do every day. So I realize I've got all, there's all these resources out there online, but they're all sort of on different government websites or different resources out there. And so I thought, how can I collate this information and get it out to women that had already gone back at the eight month mark? So, you know, the people that I weren't, I wasn't speaking to. So the women that weren't able to be there, but also to the men that were missing from that room, like, where are all these dads that I know have similar questions around wanting to work flexibly but aren't at these parent groups? So how can I reach these people? So I thought, okay, I'll do a simple two-pager FAQ sheet. And I started writing it on my mobile phone at night when I was pinned under a child that refused to sleep in a cot and basically breastfed all night long to make up for childcare during the day. (laughs) (laughs) And so I was just writing it on my smartphone, thank goodness for, for smartphones, and it ended up obviously growing bigger than Ben-Hur and 
One of the things that you just mentioned then about the dads, and that's one of the things that I actually really liked when I read the book, you make this nice comment and you touch on the need for dads to announce pregnancy in their workplace to prepare for possible change. And, you know, because we always hear, as you, I think, note in the book, you know, that there's clearly the woman who is pregnant needs to make an announcement because there's a very physical change that's about to occur and everyone's going to know about it anyway. And she will more than likely be absent from the workplace for a while. But not a lot of people talk about this idea that dads need to actually say, hey, my wife's pregnant or my partner or we're going to be adopting a baby or whatever the case may be and my life is going to change as a result as well. So I really liked that you addressed that in the book. Oh, such a good point. I mean, I learned from a lawyer that was actually working in my team because his um, wife was having a baby and, and I learned and being at a law firm that's very supportive flexible work and being the manager in that situation you know I really learned that the importance of working with the father because my view and this is before I had kids but my view is that we need to support the fathers to be able to make sure they're home for witching hour I knew from my sister's Mm. children that there's definitely a witching hour which generally starts at about 5 p.m and most dads in law firms wouldn't be home at that time so we worked pretty hard with him to make sure that he had that flexibility and it was a source of discussion and I guess the real interest for me when he was going through it because I knew that I'd be next and, and going through that process as well and then I had another friend whose wife owned a marketing business and when she took parental leave he was stepping into a management role within that business and so he um, provided me with a quote for the book as well around how they announced her pregnancy and their growth of their family together because it did have a real impact on the team and his role would be changing because of that. So I found both of those, yeah, scenarios really interesting and I think more men feel able to announce a pregnancy and we as employers look at how we can accommodate that amazing new chapter in someone's life, then maybe we can start encouraging men to have that flexible work discussion as well. So speaking of flexible work, and you just mentioned you had or have a very supportive employer, what do you suggest for women who don't have such supportive employers in in terms of how they go about requesting and implementing their own flexible work arrangements? Yeah, it's really tough. I've actually got a section in the book where we talk about the fact that this may be you and you may be required to be the trailblazer in your business and how hard that is for people to be the trailblazer and it's funny because in the interviews that I've been doing recently about the book people say oh well you're obviously a trailblazer in this space and I say actually no I'm the one that's benefiting from the other people at this firm both women and men who have already led the way in flexible work and I was the fortunate one to actually not have to be a trailblazer and for them to guide me and allow me the opportunity to work flexibly so I think it's really tough for people that are going to be the trailblazer but I've included in my book some resources that they can utilize there's a fantastic best practice guide that the field ombudsman have published and it's written for employers so if you're the trailblazer there's a resource that you can provide your manager but I think the best thing that you can do is start the conversation really early so for instance if you know that your manager or boss or employer hasn't really embraced flexible work and that you're going to be the first person to do that I think starting the conversation when you announce you're pregnant, so talking to them about and actually trying to implement flexible work before you go on maternity leave to test out their veracity for flexible work. So, for instance, at the seven-month mark, I was encouraged by our HR director to start working from home in the afternoons so that I wouldn't be there in the office and we could test out what that was going to be like. And it also enabled 
my replacement to step up and to step in and be comfortable in her shoes as well. And I know that, again, that's I'm very lucky to have an employer that encouraged that, but I think if you are a trailblazer in your business and you're going to be the first one to do it, waiting to trial out flexible work when you've had the baby and you're in a really vulnerable, tired position can be really tough. So if you can trial it out, even before you take maternity leave, I think that's a great option. That just, if I can ask you, that trialling it before you take the leave, especially as you say, when you've got a situation where there's already the, if I can, you know, inverted commas, replacement person who's going to be stepping into your shoes. How did you deal with the thoughts that were perhaps swirling in your, around in your head as, as is so often the case with career women who are taking leave. What about me? And they're going to be taking my job. I don't want to be replaced and all of those kinds of things. Well, I think, I mean, again, I was in a pretty fortunate position in that I was, and, and I've always been in that mindset that my job is to always make my role redundant. So I should always be looking at what's the next big thing or the next good thing that I can offer to the employer. And at Moore's, there's constant growth and constant areas that, you know, we can develop and go into. So for me, it was very much, I knew that I was never going to be returning full time and particularly not, well, not for a long time anyway. So finding the replacement to take over my role on a full-time basis meant that, yeah, I had to really get my head around creating a new role myself. But that's something that I've sort of always been, you know, doing and, and keen to look at. Hmm. But I think it can be really tough if you've got a replacement person coming in for a fixed period of time and you're nervous about what's going to happen when you are ready to come back and they it's time for them to leave. And I think that is a very vulnerable position for someone on maternity leave. To be experiencing because very often as an employer representative, we do see that the replacement person comes in and, you know, they're from outside and they've got a whole lot of energy or new ideas and they can often be a competitor. So yes, it can be really tough. And that's why I'm really passionate about the keeping in touch provision. So making sure that you're not leaving one for long periods of time, mm. but two, if you are going to take 12 to 24 months off, still being very present and visible and engaged in the business, even if you're not working on a day-to-day basis. So I was fortunate enough to meet with Elizabeth Broderick, who headed up um, this Human Rights Commission. Mm. I asked her, well, how do these Swedish companies, you know, countries, <laughs> Nordic countries, like how do they get it so right? Because as an employer representative, you know, for the small businesses that we represent, if someone takes 12 or 24 months off, that's a really long time in the life of a small business. Like they don't even know where they're going to be in 12, 24 months. So, you know, I was trying to get a better sense of how can we make it work. And she said that in her research, she found that women in Nordic countries just didn't take off that long period of time. But the reason why they didn't have to take off that much time is because the employers were so good at affording the flexible work when they did want to return. So that sort of definitely fed into my decision-making around taking the three to five months off because I thought also I should say before I came back, I was popping in at least once a week, once a fortnight. So meeting with the team, having lunch, you know, just even just into Arden's post on Facebook, she was very much saying after the birth of her baby, I didn't die. I've just had a baby. Like I'm yes. still here. And she's even continued to roll out amazing policy while she's been. I know. Like, while she's breastfeeding on the sofa at home. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love it. Exactly. And there are those big, chunks of time you know you might be exhausted but you can still participate in different ways so yes I think the keeping in touch provisions they're only an obligation legally on the employer yes I hate it when 
parents say to me, particularly women, oh, I've been on maternity leave for eight months or nine months or 10 months, and I haven't even heard anything from my boss since they sent flowers in hospital. And I say to them, well, there are keeping in touch provisions, so they've obviously failed their obligations. They do need to keep in touch with you. But the onus is on you too. So Mm -hmm. bring that manager up right this minute, book in that coffee catch-up, take your baby into the workplace. Like we shouldn't be keeping our children away. You know, you've got a baby attached to you. That's a reality. It's important that we as workplaces embrace children more and we should be comfortable popping into the office and, and saying hi and still being part of, yeah, management meetings and discussions and attending learning and development conferences or sessions. You can certainly do that whilst breastfeeding a baby. You just sit up the back and have lots of spare clothes and nappies <laughs> available if you can. But, um, yeah, I think keeping in touch, particularly if you've got a replacement during your maternity leave, is a really good way to make sure that you, you're keeping your seat at the table. So when we return to work then, one of the things that a lot of women find difficult to manage, if especially if they're not in the office five days a week, is dealing with email and telephone and those kinds of things when you're out of the office. And you touch on this in your book. And it was funny, actually, because you mentioned that you had a conversation in an online community and these were some of the comments. And one of them was from me. I was reading oh, it and I was like, that sounds like me. And it, and it was me. <laughs> so there you go. And my view on this is that I work in the office three days a week and I don't put my working hours in my email signature. And my view on that is that there's no difference between me being unavailable because I'm at home with my daughter than there is to me being unavailable because I'm in a meeting with another client or I'm at a conference all day or something like that. So my view is people who are there full-time don't have to tell everyone where they are every second of the day so when we work flexibly why should we have to it does depend on your work obviously and your clients and what their expectations are what's your view on dealing with those kinds of things I'm the same and because I work four days a week no one can ever remember the day that I'm not in the office anyway so it's (laughs) not helpful to even say I don't work seven days and I guess I'm fortunate enough to have an amazing PA who will try her darndest to make sure that Thursdays is my preserved day off. Having said that, I'm paid a pretty good salary and I'm at a pretty senior level and I've got some really fantastic key clients that, of course, I'm going to take their phone call or their urgent email. And, you know, my son still sleeps an hour and a half or might be distracted at the park for five minutes so I can quickly check to see if anything urgent happens. So I'm the same as you. I don't even put out of office. I'm still checking or, and I also am fortunate enough to work with my brother who'll send me an urgent text message if needed. So, you know, we've just worked out systems, I guess, but I have managed people that are not in such senior roles who are very committed to their days off being preserved for their days off. And I I actually really respect that if, you know, if it's one or two days and then someone else is managing their work, then I think that that's fine. If if you want to put that I don't work on these days, at least people will understand. But they can't contact you. Yeah. So I guess I was really interested in that Facebook feed when the question was asked, Mm. which is why I asked for permission to put those comments in the book, because I thought it was really interesting to get a whole range of people's views on it but I certainly agree with you Lucy I'm the same and it's just and this is sort of like a whole theory that I have around flexible work like I sort of think flexible work is dead it's just work and we're going to get to that point where everyone's just working flexibly and that term is just not even used anymore because it's just work and so I hope that that kind of feeds into people's need to tell other people when they are or aren't available. Mm. 
In the case studies that you have at the back of the book, you ask women what they're going to do differently second time round. And as you've mentioned, you're heading rapidly towards that second time (laughs) round yourself. So what do you think now? And the thing is, I know from my previous experiences that as a pregnancy progresses, what even what you think you might do second time around before you get pregnant changes during the pregnancy and of course even on the maternity leave so what at the moment you will do differently next time around yeah that's so true I mean you just don't know what your child is going to be like what the birth will do to your brain and to your body like you know I had a fantastic recovery but some women it can take months and you just don't know and I guess same with breastfeeding like you might love breastfeeding and it might work really well but you might have a baby that takes a really long time to breastfeed or you might have an absolute vacuum cleaner who can just (laughs) the room in two minutes and then you can do other things so I think you're right it just so varies depending on so many things but second time around I would like to have eight months off which is in line with the new financial year anyway so a little bit longer but When I say eight months off, I mean away from the office. And what I'm thinking I would really like to do is some key project work from home because I know particularly in those early days, you do have large chunks of time Mm. when you can and sort of want to do other things once the sort of eight-week nightmare period (laughs) wears off and you sort of get into a rhythm. And I'm doing a lot of content marketing work with Moors and doing a lot of writing publications and I would I'm sort of hoping that that's something that I could start doing from home. Um, Do you think that your care arrangements with your son will change? Well, if we have the au pair and that's working really well, then that would, I think, I'm hoping again that that would free me up to be able to do a bit more earlier but not actually back in the office. Yeah, okay. I think that's something I'll just have to play around with and see. At this stage, I'm just setting the expectation that it'll be eight months off and I'm putting up my sleeve some key sort of projects that I can work on behind the scenes. Um, And also, I guess I do have a number of retainers with really good key clients. And what I did last time was actually kept those retainers going and I was on call on my mobile. Mm -hmm. And I loved that. I loved having feeling needed and having my Mm -hmm. brain used in a different way and still being able to generate some value. So I would definitely still keep that up because really it's not um, incredibly difficult to do sort of a 15-minute, half-an-hour phone call radically. And if they're long-standing clients, then it's a bit easier than new clients who don't know, you know, you don't already have that relationship with and you can just say, oh, I'm just with my baby and that's fine and then you just carry on with a phone call. That is so true. I like what you're, you've suggested about doing project-based work. That's something that I did when I first went back to work with Billy and something that I intend to do again next time. And what I like about that idea is that it can be completely self-paced As soon as I got back into client work, I had those expectations and those deadlines and I had to check my emails and I had to respond to voicemails. But with the project-based things, it was all as and when I felt like I wanted to do it. And so it was like a nice, easy, at my own pace transition. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. And I think when we focus on output, not input, then we can free up people to do a whole lot more flexible work in their own time and capacity and Mm. um, yeah I think that's the problem with contracts and our employment relationships now we're based on you know full-time or part-time permanent and that comes with a whole lot of crap with it so (laughs) you can work on a contract basis or a casual basis particularly in that return to work period I think there is the ability for women to actually earn money 
whilst not being back in the office. So- <laughs> this sounds like something that you and I could get into one of those big debates on employment law and, and how legislation <laughs> needs an overhaul, especially our award system. But we've, we've Let's better- save that for another time, hey? <laughs> <laughs> So pros and cons of working, we, um, yeah. you address that in the book as well. And I definitely sometimes feel like throwing it all in and telling my husband to just get out there and go to work and leave me at home. Is that something that you, you feel too? Absolutely. And I needed to, I wrote that list time and time again. And I remember dropping my kid off at childcare, the tears pouring down my face, sitting on the tram thinking, what am I doing? Like, this is crazy. Mum was with me for 10 years before she left us, you know, and here I am at three months, five months, and then dropped him at childcare at 11 months. What am I doing this for? And it was actually really helpful to me to have the list of the pros and cons and listen to other people talking about the economics of being in the workforce because I hate it when I hear people saying, well, my salary would be completely taken up by childcare if I went yes. back to work. So I'm going to say, yeah. I'm like, well, that's the wrong maths because it's both you and your partner's salary. You're both paying and responsible for childcare. So it's the wrong maths. And also we now know too that when particularly women take big chunks of time out of the workforce, it's not just the salary that you're losing today. It's the job promotion yes. and the pay increases that you lose out on as well. Yeah. On top of that, there's the superannuation. Yeah. So But apart from the financial side, you know, I think it's been incredibly important for my mental health to feel part of a community and to be giving back from a social impact perspective um, and to just be using, as I said, different a very different part of my brain. Like I don't think anything's easier or harder. It's just they're all just really different scenarios and and, and situations and different areas of your mind that you're using. Um, But I think for me it's been really good to still be part of a community and whilst I loved my five months off and I did make a really big effort to join the parents group and I went to every single ABA meeting not because I had any trouble with breastfeeding but (laughs) I wanted people to talk to and I popped into work once a week you know I'm obviously an extrovert and I just really like feeling part of a community and part of something bigger and so now that my son's two and a half we have a lot of discussions around why do I go to work and what is work and what does daddy do at work and what does mummy do at work and it's really nice to be able to say mummy and daddy help people and we go to work to earn money and to give back and then we can buy you presents and food and (laughs) so I think it was really important for me to put the pros and cons and I guess too putting the cons down like let's be realistic about it there are cons to working and my sister has worked you know on and off but at the moment is a stay-at-home mum and there are so many benefits to what she is doing and her children are yeah absolutely benefiting from her loving attention and care and I certainly see the upsides to both so by no means am I saying that I would judge anyone that chose not to return to work but I've interviewed in the book a woman who took seven years out of the workforce and she doesn't regret that but she talks about how difficult it was for her to get back into the workforce so what I've learned about parenting is that there's literally pros and cons to every decision that you make and so (laughs) and some of them unfortunately we're not going to know for years and years and years So we've just got to keep doing the best we can at the time. And, you know, as you say, Catherine, you've got to make the best decision for you. And I know that I, um, it sounds like you and Lucy, we're all in a situation where we feel that we're better people and better mums because we work and we, we take that time for ourselves to do something that's for ourselves. And, you know, some other people don't need that or they take that time for themselves in, in different ways. So whatever is best for you. 
Yeah, absolutely. And and also there's the economic imperative. Sometimes you just, you know, yes. I'm a primary breadwinner. <laughs> I had to I had to go back. I mean, it, it was a significant portion of our family income. So, you know, there was that. But as mum says, there's always a choice. Yes. I definitely still made that choice to return and be that primary breadwinner because at the end of the day, I do love the work that I do. I love the industry. I've worked really hard to get where I am. And so I'm really glad that I yeah, stuck it out. But as I say, I'm looking forward to having just a little bit longer off second time around. <laughs> so two quick questions that we like to ask of all of our guests. And the first is, do you have a mantra? I love that song. I feel the earth move under my feet. And I think the reason why I love it is because every single step that you make and every move that you make and every action that you that you do is an impact and you can have a negative or a positive impact. So I try and live my life by that mantra and I mean down to the absolute T. So the cleaner that I use at home is from the Asylum Seeker Resource Centre. So he's a refugee. We're contributing wage award rates to his, you know, to his bottom line. You know, I set up an online beauty business that um, is cruelty free and environmentally friendly. So I try and in, in every decision that I make, think about the impact that I'm having. So that's kind of the mantra that I live by. Mm, that's great. And for all those women out there or men who are listening to this, what is one bit of advice that you would give to another professional who's managing this juggle of career and family? Just keep going. One foot <laughs> in front of the other. <laughs> I don't think I've got anything worked out at all, but I think the days can be long, the minutes can feel long, but my son's two and a half and it does seem like it's flown by. So I think just keep putting one foot in front of the other and yeah, keep being kind to yourself, but really keep thinking about, is this situation right for me now? And when I say now, I mean, it changes like every month, every two months, you have to continuously think. I know. Yes. Thank you so much, Catherine. Now tell us where we can buy your book. Oh, fantastic. So I actually self-published my book. So I put it on Amazon and I put it as an ebook version because that's through the Australian Amazon. And then I got inundated with requests for the hard copy because it does look really cute in hard copy. And so that hard copy version is actually now on Amazon US. Um, I've tried to keep the costs as low as I can just really to cover costs. So the hard copy is $20 and the ebooks like $5.99 or something. <laughs> so yeah, so you can find it on Amazon and I've also got um, my own website, Community, so you can find more information on there. Yes, and we'll put links to it in our show notes as well. Fantastic. Thank you so much for giving us some of your time today. It was great to chat with you. Oh, thank you so much. It's been great. Thanks, Catherine. Thanks again to Law CPD for sponsoring today's episode. Don't forget to visit lawcpd.com.au forward slash the juggle competition, the links in our show notes, to enter in their competition to win 10 hours of professional development. All you have to do is visit the website that we listed, which, as Lucy said, will be in the show notes, so you don't have to scramble to write it down now. And there's one simple question that you need to answer. Where do you feel the most productive and why do you think this is? What do you think your answer would be? Oh, it depends what I'm doing, what I'm working on. But (laughs) often I feel the most productive working from home and 
often in the evenings. And I think it's because I'm not interrupted. Yes, interruptions are a big thing for women like us. I think at the moment with my stage of life, I'm most productive when I'm in my office. I am lucky that it's just me in the office. There's no distractions, no kids, no other people asking for my attention. I can turn the emails and the phone off and and I don't have to worry about anything else. So I think that's why. Haven't got the housework in the background. Oh, yes. (laughs) Or the fridge. So as you can see, it is very easy to answer this question. So go on, go over there, enter the competition and win 10 hours of free professional development. Thank you so much for listening. See you next time. Happy juggling. (laughs) 